The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen now. Hey, uh, where are you? Southern California, just south of LA, Huntington Beach. Oh, okay. For the oh, time yeah, so being, it's been hot there. Yeah, it's been pretty hot, but ultimately, if you know, if you get your pumpkins too early, the uh, whether it be temperature fluctuation or whatever, they'll just rot out really fast. Yeah. And I thought, I thought a little too late. It occurred to me on Friday to have an assortment of healthy looking carved pumpkins with masks on and then one <laughs> rotted one with no mask. And uh, I thought it was a great idea, but I didn't have it in me that late in the game, but I got, I got little kids. So you awesome. know, we got to dress up, play the part, even though it was definitely an unconventional, uh, unconventional year for all this, just like the 4th of July was, but I think the 4th of July was the best, the best fourth I've ever had. Cause it was all homemade stuff. People had a, uh, a Roman candle, war there were like 50 <laughs> people and you know everybody had masks on and like i mean they came fully attired for it so it wasn't like some violent thing you know it wasn't red versus blue or anything it was just people on the uh on the the soccer field by the school over here and mm-hmm. they just had at it my videotape is just the sickest thing i've ever seen but yeah man that was a lot of fun and i remember doing stuff like that in my 20s <laughs> right yeah, it's a little different when you're a dad, you got little kids and, you know, but my daughters are staring on like, holy shit, you know, totally mind blown about it. Mm-hmm. So how was your holiday? Uh, it was, uh, it was good. It was okay. Did, did uh, yeah, we didn't do any, I, I, I kind of felt one of two ways about trick or treating. It's kind of like, ah, you know what? Like I, I, I would feel fine with handing out candy, but I wouldn't feel fine about going to other people's houses but then I was thinking the kind of people who would be out right. to trick or treat probably aren't going to be the kind of people who have been wearing masks and doing the right thing the whole time. That kind of makes sense. There's a surprising lack of people out, no matter what they were doing last night. Yeah. Mean, you, some people kind of hanging out on their porches and having their own little celebrations with their decorations. But, uh, you know, that was the extent of it for a lot of people. Yeah. But we, um, what we did is we turned out all the lights and we hid can we hid candy around the house and uh gave our girl a, f- uh, a flashlight and so then she searched <laughs> around the house looking for the candy she had a bl- oh in the dark yeah in the dark so she had a blast doing that oh that's so rad see people get creative yeah you get, you get inventive in times like these what did you do we uh we were over there's my my younger daughter's best friend uh they've mm-hmm. been sort of on the the very short list of people that we've made sure we're connected with you know and stay healthy uh in proximity to and uh so we were over there and had a similar little celebration the kids had you know movies upstairs going on we went out and like went kind of around the block in in that area because it's a little bit more of a, mm-hmm. a conventional you know, Halloween celebration neighborhood people from other towns often, you know, come down and just completely packed. But this time around, it was, it was no pun intended, quite like a, a ghost town. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, there were maybe, I think four or five trick-or-treaters overall. Nobody really came by and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just a chill time to way to just hang out with, you know, people you care about and, um, yeah. reflect on just how crazy all this shit is. You know, there's no, uh, there's no precedent for this. You know, people talk about the Spanish flu, but I've, I've yet to meet anybody who went through that, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, nobody, nobody has any way of preparing for this properly, mm-hmm. telling stories about how it went last time. So it's kind of wild knowing that 
this is this is the bar like this is what we're going to tell tell people stories about 50 years from now if any of us are mm-hmm. lucky enough to be around or unlucky depending on <laughs> I mean, shit I, I don't i don't think i want to be 90 years old or you know whatever else that's i don't not too many people make it with dignity to uh the sean connery zone welcome to season five episode 13 of the better band podcast an all-encompassing trip through the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Palomo. Each episode, my guest and I go track by track through every album, soundtrack, and single to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon. Today, we're talking about the song Push Me, Pull Me, and my guest today is Johnny Firecloud. Hello, Johnny. Hello. And uh, this is the first time I'm having you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is an exciting uh, exciting experience to look forward to for the last couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. We're good, good to hear. Impulse is a pretty, uh, pretty good song, too. For sure. That's... Um it's definitely an oddity to be speaking on at any length because, mm-hmm. you know, as I'm sure anybody listening to this episode or, or your podcast at all um, can relate or attest to, you know, everybody's got their, their sort of trigger heart songs on various Pearl Jam records, you know, push me, pull me. I'd, I'd be surprised if it were that to more than a handful of people. Um, and it's not even necessarily to myself, but it's such a unique song in itself with so many little bells and whistles and surprises that yeah it's it's exciting to explore a little deeper yeah but before we get in deeper with that song i've uh, gotta ask you johnny when did you first hear of pearl jam <laughs> <laughs> i first heard of pearl jam when uh i heard a live on the radio i was i think 13 years old um we're all dating ourselves pretty well at this point. Um, <laughs> you know, 13 years old, driving around in, in Westfield, New Jersey with my mom. Uh, we were going, you know, into town for something, God knows what. And the live was on the radio. And from that, I just, you know, from the very first opening chord all the way through, I was completely fixated. I'd never heard anything like it. And it was something that spoke to me in a very cathartic, very passionate, just incredible, heart-soaring kind of way. And uh, the DJ came on at the end, you know, one some stupid Jack the Whack name or, you know, some crazy guy on Z100. Uh, um, <laughs> he said, yeah, that was that was Pearl Jam um, with, with the song Alive. And he said, you know, if you call right now, you get hooked up with a Seattle six pack. And he rattled off a bunch of names, two thirds of which possibly all of which I'd never heard. It was, you know, Allison Chain, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, a couple others. Um, he said, you know, caller 100 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm right now and he rattled off the number as we're driving you know around to this corner where there's a phone booth so i jump out of the car and grab my mom's uh told uh coins and run over <laughs> there and call and i win this seattle six pack right there oh cool and uh guys like you're 18 right and i was like yeah 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 and you know, <laughs> gave my name and address and all that you know i was a young kid but um I got 10 very early on and uh, it was, you know, within a couple months of release and just completely was totally hooked. And I mean, granted, it was a godsend to to 
get sent a box with fucking bad motor finger and never mind and dirt, you know, and I think there's a, a mud honey CD in there too, but, um, you know, to kind of kick that off and suddenly have this entirely new world, a new spectrum of music. When prior to that, I mean, shit, we were, li- we were listening to, to Michael Jackson and like Paula Abdul and shit. Yeah, that, yeah. that was what we couldn't escape on the radio, you know, La Bamba. <laughs> um, so this was as tectonic a, a change artistically as any could could ever hope for. And um, yeah, from there it was off to the races, man. It was constantly going to the record store after that just desperate for anything more whether it be news on the band or uh any any idea of you know the next record or singles or anything to that effect but it's through that that i discovered you know bootleg cds and european import singles that cost way too much for you know one extra song but but that song is fucking it's footsteps you know that song (laughs) is you know something legendary um but that set the template for what would become a lifelong obsession and eventual career you know related to music yeah so you're mostly just listening to the stuff on the radio you didn't really have your own uh musical taste developed then at that uh specific time well being a kid i mean i i, I had a weird cross-section of like my mom's music which was the b not the bgs uh the go-go's and mm-hmm. madonna and the, you know that that sort of shit is very poppy which the go-go's I'll die on this hill. The Go-Go's were the green day of the eighties mm-hmm. where like, if you, if you listen to their, their chord structures or their, their song structures rather, and the way that they move through their changes in the songs and the pop melodies, it is damn near identical. The way that things yeah, yeah. <laughs> lay over each other. So I always had that like gravity to that pop sensibility, but my dad was really big into, uh, classic rock and you know, the old country, whether it be Merle Haggard or, um, you know, I don't think Garth Brooks is necessarily <laughs> old country, but, um, you know, Johnny well, Cash. for kids these thing. days, probably. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's, I mean, Friends in Low Places uh, takes on a real, real different sort of sociopolitical <laughs> atmosphere now. Yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway, it was, you know, I, my own musical tastes were, were limited to what in the world are we are we listening to here? You know, the, the the poison I think was the dangerous rock and roll at the time. And it was guys, you know, in spandex and makeup and giant hair singing about wanting to have a good time, wanting to have fun, you know? And it's like, wait, this there's, there's anger to be dealt with here. There's confusion. There's adolescent outrage and um, all sorts of tension and shit that like is pent up and there's no precursor at least in you know mass media in the mainstream to nine inch nails or rage against the machine or mm-hmm. you know something as angry as, as you know a song like porch or uh you know rear view mirror you know a couple years later like things the, the early 90s sort of exploded in um in a very real tangible relatable way that wasn't very cellophane anymore in terms of mainstream music you know, I'd love to be able to say that, you know, I was raised on early cure and, you know, that I discovered the Smiths really early on, but my parents were suburban Michiganders, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, so that hearing that, that Seattle six pack sort of thing, that kind of broke open for me, what music could be outside of that cellophane wrapping. And it was through there that I discovered all the influences and all the tangential things that would come with that. Oh, I think Siamese Dream was one of the other uh, okay. records that was in that pack. Yeah. yeah getting, but I digress. Getting all those at the same time makes me think about uh, K 
Keanu Reeves in the Matrix, like when he gets downloaded, it's like, oh, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> just that's like the whole that's like a whole different musical culture that's just rammed into your brain with 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 the beginning of of uh, the Seattle sort of nineties alternative scene just all at once there. Yeah, I think you're more right in that uh in that comparison than than you might know. I mean, there's there's it very much felt like stepping into a world that was like, oh, this is mine. And mm -hmm. there's no way that you can relate to this mom. And there's no way that <laughs> you know my dad is like is gonna understand fuck you, I won't do what you tell me, outside of it being, you know, just a bratty kid, <laughs> you know, screaming that. No, he might have had Pink Floyd the wall. Yeah, sure, there there was an element to that. My dad was certainly a, uh, I think, a, a bit of a psychedelic adventurer, you know, in his teenage years, but there's something to be said for, I think, the the darkness and the anger and the 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 really damn breaking sound that so many of those records had in the early 90s where mm -hmm. just a new world was born a new world of artistic expression and i mean even i remember my mom saying something uh she saw a porno for pyros cd or a, a tape in my uh in my room and she's like oh so now pornography is in music that's just <laughs> that's just okay I'm like, oh my god and then I explained to her, no, 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 this is the singer from Jane's Addiction. And she's like, what? <laughs> Jane's what? And, you know, and so like, there's a there's a real slippery slope on that front, you know, and I think my dad was just happy that I was listening to music that wasn't made by guys with makeup, you know, in spandex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different era. That's, that's all. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but, you know, that informed so much that informed your your mm -hmm. fashion that informed your your friendships you know you find, you see somebody else wearing a soundgarden shirt or somebody wearing something you know obscure um you know suddenly the melvins are are showing up at shows on people's shirts and shit and you're discovering you know bands through t-shirts that you're seeing or cover songs that people are doing and you know that's that's how I came to discover cover songs was yeah, through yeah. Pearl Jam there's so many so many songs that I heard off bootlegs that I was like, wow, that's that's a great Pearl Jam song. And you come to find out it's a Who song, you know, down the line, because there was no internet back then. Yeah, you find out about uh, about Who's Next from Baba O'Reilly, and you're like, whoa, this is wow. Old people knew how yeah. to uh, <laughs> make some great rock too. <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing uh, the kids are all right, and um, Eddie had, had said something before. There was the version I'd had. He said something about how he was excited he got to see his girlfriend later on that day, which was, you know, at the mm -hmm. time, Beth. And um, and you could tell, like, just in his voice that he really missed her and he was really looking forward to seeing her. And so he, like, poured himself into this song and it just sounded so incredibly real and good and beautiful. And, you know, things like, uh, even shit, Let My Love Open the Door. I had never heard that up until the Soldier Field bootleg. So I'm like, wow, that's crazy. They're doing such a poppy, fun song that's about love. And she was like, wait, no. <laughs> Pete Townsend wrote this. Yeah, so it allows you to make your own sort of uh, mistakes along the way of falling in love with this music, assigning it meaning that you may need to adjust later on in life when you become more aware. And that's, you know, everything has changed. Everything has changed. Mm -hmm. You know, that's sort of the eternal lyrical debate that, are, you know, are associated with so many songs in Pearl Jam lore and beyond that get people, uh, you know, riled up because we don't want to let go of things that are precious to us, even if they're not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And I think that applies to a lot in life, religion and otherwise. Yeah, 
It's like uh, having a false belief, thinking you came here to stay. Oh, hey, let's wow. talk about the song. See, Ooh, look at that. You're good at this. Hell Damn. Yeah. <laughs> that's impressive. Well, that's one thing that actually really smacks me in the face about this song is that there's um, this is one of the songs kind of like given to fly that people have strangely associated with music or mu- <laughs> no, not with music, uh, with religion, with God. And, you know, there there are some spiritual and philosophical overtones, of course, but um, the opening band for the sun line. Are we getting ahead of ourselves? Because that's towards the end. Sorry. Oh no no no! I don't really go in any order. It's uh, uh let's 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 get some just like kind of facts about the song, just out of the way, and then we can just dive right into it. Uh, Jeff pretty much wrote the music for this. Ed wrote the words. Um, the first time they played it, it was for a uh, a tag and daughter, I believe, on uh, March eleventh, ninety eight show in. I just had that uh, Australia. Actually played the real song for real in uh, August later that year, August 29th in New Jersey. I had a false belief. I thought I came here to stay. But we're all just visiting. We're all just breaking like waves. The oceans made me, but who came up with love? Push me, pull me, push me, put me out. Push me, pull me, push me, pull me out. Push me, pull me, push me, pull me out. If I were an angel and had no wings, uh, fuck, you better stop me before I begin. But let me say, if I behave, could you arrange a spacious hole in the sky? Make it nice, somewhere nice. Where the land beats high tide Push me, pull me Push me, pull me out 
time signature that Jeff uh, had had part in before Matt came into the band and kind of took over that mantle. Maybe that's why they've only played it a dozen or so times. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's, too strange of a time signature, though. No, it's I mean, it, it would be great as an encore opener, something that, you mm-hmm. know, tells tells the people like, hey, we're going to turn left a little bit here. Things are going to get a little weird. Um and you know that would be I would I I haven't seen it like oh wait no that's not true I saw the PJ twenty I think oh you were there yeah yeah and uh, yes okay yeah now I remember but <laughs> outside of that um, you know it's it's a very exciting strange song you know and I think live provided you're not there to see you know a festival set to see even flow and alive and black <laughs> and Jeremy you know yeah um, I think you're gonna be thrilled. If that comes out in the set, yeah, this is sort of the uh, the experimental track on the album because you got to have one of those in there at least post uh, post Vitology. Even though I think kind of WMA Rats from Versus kind yeah, of yeah. Well, I mean, Yield has has its own little you know bits and pieces. Yields is very seems very light on its feet. Oh um, yeah, yeah. In a, a good way, you know, and uh, it, it has room to breathe. And that's a that's a good song to pepper in there in terms of some some odd experimentation. I just love the fact that it's it's happy. You know, it's like driving out of a rainstorm and then back in and then back out, you know, and um, into a, a, a sunny day. It just has a, a punchy sort of almost almost sort of uh, I, I don't want to say nuisance but not menacing, but almost antagonistic sort of philosophical question, you know, element to it where like. Maybe I shouldn't even be asking these questions, but like, you know, if if there were no angels, would there be no sin? Like, this is kind of ridiculous. Like, you better stop me before I could begin. Like, if we're going to if we're going to live within these constructs, maybe I just shouldn't be asking these questions. Like, how about how about you just give me what I want and I'll behave? You know, that's sort of the range of spacious hole in the ground. That's that's how I took it, where there's an element of. um okay, well, you know, there's so much more beyond our reality here. There's so much more beyond what we can understand and we can muse on these questions, you know, every day, all day long, you know, who came up with love and would there be no sin, you know, so on. But I love the vision that's presented, the cloud dropping rain, you know, discarding all thought. And uh, it's a very existential, almost Buddhist sort of um, approach to, to lyricism and to poetry. Yeah, you got kind of the first verse kind of being sort of uh, about science, possibly evolution. You got the second sort of being about religion. And you've got the third kind of just being hmm. like, I don't know. I'm just going to, I don't know, give, give, give it up to the universe or something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yield. I'm going to give way. <laughs> that's, an interesting, uh, that's an interesting look at it. I hadn't really thought of it that way. 
you know, I'd, I'd always pictured kind of Frank Zappa sitting there reading, you know, something as existential, the power of now or something, listening to mm-hmm. Nick Cave or, but, you know, the idea that you're a, you're a permanent soul, you're a presence that is here to make an impact, whether, you know, whether that means you feel like you're going to live forever, you know, in your youth, the invincibility of youth, or you believe that your soul is on a finite course, you know, that has, has a particular destination or, you know, a spectrum to operate within. But the just breaking like waves concept to me is just, you know, there's an infinite, there's an infinite flow to what's happening. And we're just a piece of that, whether we're just a wave, you know, or a part of that wave. Mm -hmm. But um, I like how that leads into the interplay of the chorus that push me and pull me and like how that tide works. You know, I've, I've never gone surfing listening to this song or, you know, sang it while I'm in the ocean. Maybe I should try <laughs> see, if, <laughs> see if there's something to connect with there. Um, but the way that like the way the song picks up the pace and creates like you have, I don't know, like a, a minute and a half in when he's, you know, says like a cloud drop in rain and so on. Like suddenly you're in a little bit more of a gallop. And there's all this sort of stuff happening, like a minute 26 in is there you hear like, is that a train whistle? Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, like Fred Flintstone, I mean, uh, the, uh, right. the yeah. Well, like we said, there's so many quirks and oddities. Yeah, in the very beginning, the um, happy when I'm crying, the distorted line, you know, and sample that gets pulled out of that uh, from the, the Christmas single. That was really cool to put that together when I first heard this. You know, I was like, wait, holy shit, what is that? And, you know finding the roots of that and plus the fact that the song itself seems built upon a loose almost unconscious playback of of the rearview mirror riff in a certain way whether it's inverted or what um i remember eddie always talking about rearview mirror being and i think this is something you hear on on Channel 22, the Sirius XM, uh, the Pearl Jam station, there's a song clip or a sound bite of Eddie talking about Rearview Mirror and how it was something that he used to just play kind of on autopilot when you get home, you know, after sitting in traffic, yeah. working at the gas station or whatever. And uh, eventually it became a full-fledged song. But, like, you hear just sort of this meandering riff, like you said, that just sort of loops and that, that was a 3-4. You sort of lose that as eddie's going in through that first verse but then when it goes into sort of almost double time and the drums really pick up you can't help but be uplifted by it you know and uh i feel like it's it pulls you back in and like there's no way that there's no way that you can sort of stay down when listening to that song certainly not for me yeah that uh that sort of bridge riff in there kind of have uh, a feeling of uh the song start from the jam rain I'm discarding all thought I'll dry up leaving puddles on the ground I think that's kind of like that sort of riff and then also that's that's also sort of like the 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 tax man riff from the Beatles too let me tell you Oh yeah, yeah, and I guess uh, the the Beatles, yeah, the Beatles uh, took a uh, what you call it? Took inspiration from the Motown bassist James Jamerson, 
Oh, well, everybody knows that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's obscure as shit, man. That's great. I do a little bit of research. I know a thing or two about a thing or uh, just a thing. But yeah, yeah I saw somebody mention the the, the baseline borrowing from uh, Start by the Jam and thinking like, oh, I'm going to have to listen to that. I never pulled it up. I'm going to check that out after this, though, because I really love how, I don't know, I remember being like really bummed out when somebody played uh, the the middle of solo from Alive and played back the exact part that like Ace Freely played in oh, the yeah. Kiss song, I don't know, whatever the hell the Kiss song was. And I was like, oh, no, they're, you know, McCready's invalid as a musician. Like, oh, he's just a copycat. Like, I didn't understand at the time what he's doing. Again, being 13 years old, uh, you know, and my older teenage metalhead friend pointing that out, like, nah, man, your dude's a bitch. Like, he didn't, he didn't come up with that. Now realizing that's a hat tip in, like, a really cool way and that he grew up obsessed with Kiss. And that was his sort of little nod. And... And, you know, obviously that was before I'd heard Yellow Lead better. (laughs) And and I'm really glad that I had that conversation prior to listening to that because I knew Little Wing very well at that point because my dad was a, you know, Hendrix fan. So, uh, you know, it's it's fascinating the way that musicians we love and artists that are very fluent in their craft find ways to hat tip their influences. Pulling from, you know, bands like... The English beat, you know, when when Save It For Later first started working its way into sets and what, like, uh, you know, the tag anyway, in 2000 or 98, I guess it was, or maybe even before then. I remember just being completely blown away, like, holy shit, how do you do that? How do you connect mm-hmm. those two songs? How is that, you know, something and, you know, that would become much more of a staple as time would go on. Like you'd said, another brick in the wall and, you know, all these like legendary songs and then tagging his own songs with his own songs you know wma being in there (laughs) you know and that sort of thing we're lucky to have chosen this band in terms of the things that they give back when it comes to um speaking through the music yeah i mean you you like something you like you you want other people to know about it too that's yeah that's why why i'm doing this podcast that's why hats off to you for that that's great it's, um, yeah, that's why I make my kid listen to the music I like. <laughs> I hear you. It's great to know that, you know, your kids are, are well-versed in our kids. You know, both of ours are, are well-versed in the things that we were most passionate about growing up because you'd like to think that there's a little bit of evolution going on generation to generation, you know, leaving um, some of the detritus out and putting your own little quirks in as things go on. But I mean, who else are you yeah. going to gig out to, you know, whether on this podcast or to your kid who's kind of blank, blank staring at you? Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, when you're talking about how, you know, the acid trip soundtrack of In Hiding gives way to this really weird experience. And it's just a perfect sort of it's a perfect go between before all those yesterdays, you know, on the on the album or mm-hmm. on Yield, because all those yesterdays is it deals with some pretty heavy subject matter, you know, but there is very much a Beatlesque airiness to it. That's light and floats almost like a, like a balloon, you know, and a song like push me, pull me kind of sets you up for that. It gives you that. Like if you go from low light into all those yesterdays, I think you're still wiping your tears up, getting off the phone with your grandma or, you know, whatever you do after low light, that's, that's an emotional, you know, hard hitting introspective song. I think the sequencing on Yield is is fantastic, the way that they arrange the tracks. And Push Me, Pull Me seems to be like almost in range of one of those songs that maybe maybe five years earlier would have been a hidden track. 
you know, if they would have, if they would have written that kind of like, uh, you know, not, not that stupid mopped or whatever was, mm-hmm. was a hidden track, but just kind of dovetailed the end of a record, you know, that it was made you kind of say, what the hell, you know, as you shut things off. Yeah. I think the, the, like the little sounds and stuff like that are the only little thing that makes this well, and kind of like the spoken word delivery of it kind of make it a little odd, yeah. but I mean, the music by itself is just, you know, you'd listen to it, especially as it gets past the, uh, the bridge and, and it, you know, really starts rocking and kicking in. You're like, Oh yeah. Like a clown dropping rain. I'm discarding all thought. I'll dry up leaving puddles on the ground. I'm like an open band for the sun. Yeah, for sure. And there's a circular sound to it. This the and like it it kind of like it's it's almost like a gallop, but it's odd and like a little understated, but still upbeat and good. And, and yeah, yeah. When they when they play it live, you really get a sense of like the rock potential. That I don't know if if it would have been like that on the album. I don't know if it would have sort of stuck out as much if it would just be kind of like, okay, yeah, this is kind of you know a rock and song or whatever like that. I think that with all of the extra little sort of sound effects and everything mm. like that, that they that they mix in it really sort of you know especially coming in at the end of the album too it makes you kind of wake back up i was like whoa what the heck is this yeah shit i mean for sure if you put this at like track five and then made it a rocker like if eddie did more you know actual singing like uh, aggressively i could see this maybe being something else you know um <laughs> man i never thought of it like that like one of these uh the things that always stuck with me that i know we'll never hear Mike had said in an interview at one point that Eddie sang the lyrics uh, to Bush Leaguer at mm-hmm. one point that they had tr- tried it out where he was like actually singing and not just like rattling off the the words. And, um, you know, I love the song for sort of the time capsule that it is. And it's uh, very eerily relevant right now. Mm-hmm. But to have heard him really lean into it, like you hear the passion that he puts into the chorus to hear that in the verses, um, I would give I'd give up a lot to just to hear what that would sound like, you know. Um, oh, I forgot to mention about this song. If uh, ev- everybody, you have your your yield liner notes out, you're gonna find the little yield sign on the far right of the picture. Uh, it's on the it's right at the the front of the little sign that says "Welcome to Seattle." I believe that's in the um, the sign for I believe the SeaTac Airport which uh, also has the poster exhibition called Push Me, Pull Me there as well that they began in uh, 2015. That poster exhibition is amazing. Yeah, I, I, a couple of years ago flew through Seattle and was like, oh man, I got to go see that. I got to go see that. But like the, as soon as I landed, had to get in line for the next flight, like no layover. It was just you know, uh, rushing and it's like, ah, oh, crap. That would have been awesome. Oh, that's a bummer. Uh, I just lucked out one time it was in, uh, they had relocated a, a portion of it, I guess, to San Francisco to this, uh, I think it was like the hate street art 
market or something something to that effect it was really really incredible just so amazing and they were selling some t-shirts there that are mind-blowing so i bought a few and now i'm like i don't like wearing them <laughs> because i don't want them to get like worn out and i'm not even going out of the house for people to see them yeah that's the, that's the, that's the tough part about about some of the pro the 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 t-shirts you're like oh man this is cool it's like ah oh, but the more i wear it the more it's going to wear out yeah and, oh, i really like it what am i going to do if i can't wear it that often and it's weird necklines aren't they don't seem to be what they used to be on t-shirts like, yeah <laughs> you know there's t-shirts i have from like 1999 that are like shit these things still like fit they look good on you i mean they're faded or whatever but Every T-shirt that I've gotten for the last five years, you know, if you fall asleep in it, suddenly the neckline shot, you know, or you, <laughs> if you put it through a, a heavy load of wash. It's weird. Yeah. Is, is there any other interpretations of lyrics or just uh, more gushing about how awesome <laughs> the song is, the riffs, <laughs> just, the, just the bass, just being the, the, the core holding it down in the song? Yeah. I've, I've listened to it a number of times, um, you know, intentionally on various various sound systems whether it be you know airpods to a great set of headphones to these uh got these kef uh lsx speakers that are too expensive but sound really really fantastic and half the time i still couldn't tell whether he says somewhere nice make it nice where the land meets high tide or if he's actually overlaying something with that i always thought or maybe even just like to think that he was saying where the land meets high tide but over that, he's saying my pride as well. Hmm. And I'm going to listen to it again as soon as we're done here, and it'll stand out clearly. And <laughs> not that, and I'll feel like an asshole for saying that. But uh, it was something that always caught me up because I really enjoy those little double entendres, you know, the little things that are intentionally thrown in to kind of make you scratch your head a little bit. You know, the uh, like at the end of Faithful, when he says, you are, you are a furry thing instead of everything you know mm -hmm. um that kind of shit you know that he does it he does it probably even more than anybody has caught on and that was one of those lines but yeah i don't know if there's necessarily any anything overtly uh interpretive beyond what we've what we've gone through it seems to be a little bit of a a very casual existential musing you know he's not he's not getting sort of somber and serious with the furrow brow, you know, mm -hmm. sort of like, look, this, this game is rigged, but we can't really understand how, and it's not even necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> it's just like, we don't know where all this shit came from. And, you know, we, we like to think that we're smart and confident and, uh, you know, have all this figured out to some extent, but let's be real. We haven't, you know, the, the very last line that I've had enough, said enough, felt enough, I'm fine still in it that, very end part i had never even heard um just very very recently i've like dug into it and uh i like that because it still is this sort of existential capstone where it's like yeah i'm, I'm still going i've seen it i've had enough i've said enough like i've gone through this but there's still reason to be here and ask these questions whether or not we're ever going to get answers and maybe that's a little bit of projection. Maybe I'm reading in too much to that. You know, maybe that's the, the never give up t-shirt from a long time ago with the two interjoined rings. But I like that interpretation. I like looking at it that way. Because if you're asking these questions and you're, you know, listening to a song like this or, or you have the energy behind this kind of a song when you're asking these questions, I think you're doing okay in life. You know, you're you're moving along enough to say, 
I, I'm, I've got things going all right. And, you know, who came up with all this shit, you know? And like, is there, is there really, uh, is there really a point to being so worried about messing up here and there? You know, if the, did the angels come first or was it sin? You know, like maybe we shouldn't even ask those questions. Let's just try to live a good life. It's cycles, life, death, push, pull, the tide. Yeah. And by no means should that suggest uh, an endorsement on my part or Eddie's part that, you know, we shouldn't ask those questions or we shouldn't, you know, explore philosophy or, you know, the, the existential conundrums that you know face us. But um, yeah, ultimately, I don't think there's any point in getting down about it. That seems to be what this drives drives home. And so uh, I've been wrapping up by asking people uh, what's something you think that people should do to help other people out to to try to spread kindness and share the light i really i mean you know there's there's a couple of ways to approach that i think that's a really good question to ask people so hats off to you for that but i think that being generous in ways that are outside of money whether it be you know baking things and giving them to people even if it's strangers Mm -hmm. or just sharing support is really critically important right now because between you know thanksgiving and christmas and all the holidays in between whatever you're into or follow um there's going to be a lot of lonely people this year you know and and covid has us has us really struggling uh whether it be financial emotional or you know just being at a distance from the people we love so i think pulling together as a community safely whether or not you know you're able to go into people's houses or whatever but taking care of one another in very small but impactful ways is important and you know how the old saying goes you know call your mom you know call call somebody and tell them that you love them they they might not they might not know that or they might need to hear it um i think that goes a long way a a much farther way uh over the holidays because people start to really get thinking about being away from all that stuff you know yeah you know the way this year has been going it's (laughs) we, we all need help yeah for sure sure yeah thanks thanks for coming on um do you have uh stuff you want people to notice that you've done want to shout out promote yeah um yeah just uh the anti-quiet podcast and anti-quiet.com uh, the anti-quiet podcast is the anti the anti-quiet <laughs> podcast anti-quiet is uh, it's on spotify it's on soundcloud it's on all the places where you get get your podcasts and um you know, we talk about music and, and current events. A lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, our our age range, you know, Gen X level um, music and, and life interests, you know. So everything from Pearl Jam, Queens of the Stone Age, you know, Nine Inch Nails world on through new music that I'm obsessed with, whether it be Run the Jewels or, you know, anything else. And I think more than ever now, as life is is permeating being permeated by everything else that we're involved in and invested in as human beings, just given that we're in our own houses and can't really interact the way we want to. I think finding our own tribes is really important. And I like to think that I provide a little bit of that for somebody, a little bit of flavor for somebody out there. So that's really it. Um, I just appreciate uh, the the chance to geek out on music with you here for a little bit. It's been cool, man. I, I dig what you do. And love talking about Pearl Jam. This just gives me an excuse to do it. <laughs> right on, man. Well, that's great. And uh, thanks for your time. 
The Better Man Podcast is produced by ListenUpReno.com and Brandon Palomo and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email listenupreno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at betterbandpod. I'm on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you'd like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Brandon P and leave me a $3 tip or give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Johnny and as always, this is Brandon saying... You know... Fox turned into a hardcore sex channel so gradually, I didn't even notice.